Guys, I've been telling you that um, I'm, I, I'm ready to lay it, um, aside the whole legalism thing, and I am. I, I'm good to my word, and we're done with that. Um, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul calls, um, uses the title of ministry of condemnation. He uses the title of ministry of death. And, and I had suggested to you that um, those are ministries, or those are individuals, that, um, that, that, that come about because the, the role of the Holy Spirit is devalued. And, and in his place, in the place of the Holy Spirit's leadership, uh, is put some kind of legalistic framework. And so that's what we've done for the last couple of weeks, is, is emphasize the... Um, Anytime the, the, the leadership role of the Holy Spirit is devalued, you're going to end up with rules and you're going to end up, I think you could safely say, um, um, based on what Paul said, with a ministry of condemnation, a ministry of death. Now, before we talk about grace, um, there, there's another aberration that I've already mentioned to you. What I've, what I've sought to do is kind of keep this thing from tipping too far one way along the way. I told you, I, I drew up on that board one night, the Scylla and Charybdis, the, the two extremes that we, that we needed to avoid. And um, I, I introduced it, but have not uh, developed it, and that's what we're going to start doing tonight. Because um, before we can talk about grace and, and its beauty... There's another um, error that we have to avoid um, as, we, as we steer in between uh, errors on both ends of the spectrum. Because having avoided legalism on one end of the spectrum, which, which I, I hope we can now, um, I sure spent enough time on it, and uh, I know you're, you sure did. <laughs> you bored us to tears. Well, um, but, but having avoided legalism... The, the question now that faces us is, okay, how do we embrace, um, let me just put it like this, how do we embrace the sinner without encouraging sin? That is, how do we, how do we live as righteous, uh, God-glorifying people without um, committing the errors on the other end of the spectrum? Because, guys, as you have may already know, the, the tendency, the frequent response among people like us is that once we've, once we've swung away from that end of the spectrum, we, we swing over to this end of the spectrum, but we, we, we rarely, you know, oh, we want to get away from this spectrum and the end of the spectrum, and we come to the middle and just stop. No, the pendulum keeps going, and it swings over here. So once you've damned this into the spectrum and this error, um, once we've avoided the death that is brought on by legalism, then, then our next challenge is to avoid the death that is brought on by antinomianism. That's the other end of the spectrum. Uh, law-filled and lawlessness. Uh, emphasis on law, uh, the... The abandonment of law. So we've spent all our time over here, not all of our time, but we've spent a, a bunch of our time over here. And um, so now we have to 
look at the other end of the spectrum, figure out what that's all about, and avoid that as well. I hope you realize that by, by my damning legalism, I am in no way advocating some sort of unrestrained freedom and calling that grace. And, and, and that seems to be being done quite a bit, uh, folks. You know, last week, if you were here last week, I, 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 um, I told a story of that, uh, or I gave you a definition of a neurotic um, of a neurotic that, that came from Paul Tournier, the Swiss psychiatrist, and, and you, you may have remember that I, I won't repeat it, um, uh, but I gave you a definition of a neurotic, and a, a neurotic is a, is a person who can't say certain words, you know? And then, um, as, as we were breaking up, I had two men come to me, and they were, they were sweethearted and, and just playful as they could be, and they say, well, now I know what it means to live in, in grace. It just means we, I've got to cuss more. Um, and, and, you know, they were teasing, but guys, that is, that is one of the risks. When you damn legalism, then, then, um, then you say, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, uh, Jimmy Young, and, and now I understand that you are advocating some kind of unrestrained freedom, and now we're in grace. That, ladies and gentlemen, I hope to correct in the coming weeks. Because um, sin and avoiding sin is still a, a, a top priority, guys. There is a, there's a story that, that um, is told about Billy Sunday. Do you remember the name Billy Sunday? He was a kind of a revivalist, kind of a campground kind of dude and and um, uh, this is a quote from Billy Sunday. He says, um, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. And I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it. Till I go to go home to glory, and it goes home to perdition. <laughs> well, guys, um, I, I want you to know that that's still very much front and center with me. I'm not trying to damn legalism and say, "All right, everybody, go out there and curse some and and drink red beer and and uh, celebrate your freedoms and call that grace." No, ladies and gentlemen, that's not, that's not if you. If you know anything about me, that's not what I'm, um, that's not what I'm about. But, unfortunately, people who, um, who just come, you know, occasionally on Wednesday nights, then they, they hear what they want, not what they want to hear, they hear certain things, they don't hear the other side of the story, and, and they draw some um, unfortunate conclusions. Well, what I want to do tonight, uh, in my time allotted, is I want to show you the result, and then, and then we'll try to analyze it. Uh, antinomianism next week and a couple of weeks after that. But, um, but I want to show you the result of one believer who, uh, who allowed himself to do precisely as he chose to do. And I want to show you the devastation that comes when if in the name of grace, and see, that's the, that's the, that's the devilish part of this. It's if you come to the conclusion that in the name of grace you are going to live without any kind of restrictions, you missed it, ladies and gentlemen. 
And you didn't hear that from me. Now, you may have, you may have heard not everything and you came to that conclusion, but that's, that's your problem. That's not, that's not what I'm seeking to do. And I want to show you the result of, um, of one believer who allowed himself to do precisely as he wanted to do. Uh, you don't need to turn in your Bibles because you know this story. It's very familiar. His name is David. And David, um, who was king, decided that uh, because he was king, he could live above the law. The rules didn't apply to him. And, and because I'm, uh, I'm who I am, uh, I, there is, there's, no, there's no stricture on me. And so, of course, he's out one night when he should have been with his armies, and um, he sees a woman that's bathing, and he... Um, he sends his servants after her. Her name, of course, was Bathsheba. Um, Bathsheba was taking a bath, and um, I just thought of that. Um, but, but anyway, after 40 years of preaching on David and Bathsheba, I just thought about the bath and the Bathsheba. Uh, but anyway, she's taking a bath, and uh, so he sends his servants out to get her, brings her home over to his house, over to the palace, and impregnates her. And then um, once he discovers that she is pregnant, he devises a plan. And the plan is, um, you know, to cover it all up by getting her husband off the front lines. His name is Uriah the Hittite. And um, uh, bring him home, get him drunk, send him home, and then, you know, let nature take its course. And and then we can blame the pregnancy on, on her husband or explain the pregnancy via a husband. And, and, of course, Uriah throws him a curveball and um, uh, won't go home. And he does it two straight nights, and David is, um, is trapped. And then, as, as a result of being trapped, he has to devise another plan. And so he writes this little letter, and he puts it in Uriah's hand, seals it with the, you know, the king's little seal, and he sends it, uh, sends it back to the front lines, um, to, to, the, to Joab, the uh, army general. And, and he opens it up and he says, uh, just, uh, just take this, you ride Hittite boy, and put him in the front lines where the, where, the, where, the, where the battle is the hottest. And then once it's really hot, just call off the army and head in another direction. Just leave him there. And that's what happens, and he's murdered or he's killed um, at the hands of somebody. But ultimately, it was just murder. Then, as, as you know, um, uh, a little time goes by. I don't know how long. But um, God raises up a prophet. His name is Nathan. And Nathan goes into the king, and uh, armed with the word of God, and has abs- is fearless. Fearless, which is really fun to watch. But he takes his bony little finger, and he sticks it in the, nose, at the, in, in the face of David. And he tells the story, remember? The story about the guy who had the little lamb, and he used somebody else's lamb, and all that business. And, and uh, David says, that man ought to die. And then uh, Nathan sticks his bony little finger in David's face and said, you're the man, David. You're the one that's done that. And then you may recall, um, it's in 2 Samuel 12, but you may recall that David it, it melts, is, is blown away with the conviction brought on by the prophet Nathan. And um, just in a puddle, confesses the fact that he is wicked, he's sinned, yada, 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 yada. And, um, and then Nathan says this, and this is the point I'm trying to make. Nathan says, um, you're forgiven. 
but the child's going to die. And then he goes on to say, and guys, um, if you've got the ESV, the ESV translation is a little bit different than this. But this is the King James and the New King James, which says this. Nathan says to, to David, he says, David, you have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Does that not grab you? <laughs> that's, uh, that's 2 Samuel twelve fourteen. by the way. David, because of your reckless behavior, because of your thinking that you lived above the law, David, you have not only murdered somebody and, and, got the, and this child is going to die and all that, but, but David, listen to me, David. David, you have given the enemies of God great reason, great cause to blaspheme because of you, David. Because of your, your lawless behavior. The enemies of God blaspheme. Now, does that bother you? Does it bother you that the, that the enemies of God could blaspheme because of our behavior? Ladies and gentlemen, if it does not bother you, I, I don't see how anything spiritual could be alive in you. Um, if, if my behavior uh, could give rise to the enemies of God to blaspheme, now, gang, um, <laughs> I can just tell you that the enemies of God are looking for reasons to blaspheme. I mean, they're, they're looking for reasons, uh, and unfortunately, we just give them too many. Now, we had an instance here in, in the local newspapers where Second Presbyterian Church, you know, you saw it all on the front page if you, if you take the paper. If you're older than 40, I guess you read the paper, but um, um, if you're not, you don't read the paper, but... Um, but, but anyway, it, I, the, the thing that was so incredible was, I mean, very frankly, Second Presbyterian Church couldn't have handled themselves any better than they handled themselves. I mean, they were stellar. But, of course, the, the, the people hit the blogs. And if you could have, I don't know whether you did read, maybe you did. Um, by, by about 3 o'clock that afternoon, the day that the article appeared in the paper, there were 182 blogs, uh, responses, and I'm telling you, 179 of them, they weren't just critical. They were vicious. 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 Um, now, uh, very frankly, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of mixing metaphors here because I don't think that was really... I think Second Presbyterian handled themselves marvelously. But there are occasions, ladies and gentlemen, when we don't and because we don't, we give the enemies of God occasion to blaspheme. G gang, um, I am, there's no bigger hater of legalism in this room than I am. But my hatred of legalism has not given me permission to go live a life and do as precisely as I want to do um, when the, 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 the stakes are, or at least part of the stakes, are that I just provide fodder for those who despise this God of mine. 
to level all of their nasty, vicious complaints. Gang, this is not, I mean, 2 Samuel uh, 12 is not the only place this, this is discussed. I want you to see it in a couple other places. And then I'll close with a place where it's addressed, well, it's remedied. But there's a statement that uh, is made by uh, Paul in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, where, where he says this. This is 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows every, those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, guys... Um, I, I want you to react as negatively and as viciously as, you, as, as I do to legalism. But in my trying to get you to do that, I am not trying to encourage you to live any old way you want to live. Th- this text says, to name the name of Jesus means that those people are people who depart from iniquity. They see iniquity and they run from it. They don't want to walk into it in the name of grace and freedom. They see iniquity and they want to avoid it because they belong to somebody who has an inflexible hatred of sin. And if my Savior has an inflexible hatred of sin, then I ought to have one too. And so I am by no means going to use grace as some kind of excuse to go out and live some kind of profligate lifestyle. God forbid that we should use grace that way. God forbid that we should react to legalism in such a way that we become licentious in our lifestyle. There's a couple others. Uh, listen to this, this statement. This is in Romans chapter 2. This is, this is, this is scorching. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 24. Paul says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of me. You know, um, one of the things that I've said is, um, you know, I know that all of you are holding your breath. That is, I can't wait for this old fat guy to retire. Well, I'm getting close, so just hang in there. But um, I- I've said this on numerous occasions. You know, um, how old are you? Twelve. Twelve. He- this young man may not listen to a thing I say. He may not ever hear anything that I teach. But at least I don't want to have, I, I don't want to live in such a way that he ever has to apologize to his friends about his preacher. At le- he might not say, well, you know, our preacher's a great teacher. I really like to listen to him. He probably would never say that. But at least he won't have to say, yeah, he did that. I, I want to die with this young man never having to apologize for me. I want to go to my grave 
without the, without the Gentiles having an opportunity to blaspheme because I went out and misused grace and abused it, thinking that this is what grace meant. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what grace meant, what grace means, or at least part of what it means. It means everybody that names the name of the Lord um, departs from iniquity. That's what it means. We run from iniquity. We, we see sin and we hate it because we don't want to abuse or misuse this thing that has overtaken us um, and that has set us free. Yeah, freedom, I'm all, I will fight for your freedom. But ladies and gentlemen, to, to, to abuse that, what, you, what you're doing is giving... You give the Gentiles an opportunity to blaspheme because you're celebrating your freedom and calling it grace of all things. It ain't. It ain't grace. It's, uh, it's either license or licentiousness or antinomianism. I don't know, but, but it ain't grace because grace doesn't live like that. We're going to talk about that more, but I, I, I wanted to say, I got one other, I got about 12 minutes and uh, I got one other text that I want you to see. It's in Ezekiel. And, and if, you, um, if you've got a Bible, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to go see this one. This is um, Ezekiel's in the Old Testament, of course. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Because I want to sh- show you what God's remedy for um, this... This desire to do is precisely as I choose. I want to show you what he, what he says about it. Um, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 20. First, let's start there. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and, and yet they had to go out of his, of his land. Do, do you see what's hap- what is being said there? Um, uh, the 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 onlookers are saying, "Well, aren't those people? Don't they belong to Yahweh?" <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, I think those people aren't aren't they aren't they sons and daughters of Yahweh? And look at them! Why they had to go out of His land? <laughs> oh, they're just like us. <clears throat> Now, seeing the truth and the tragedy of that, um, God designs a remedy. And I want to read it to you. It's in that same passage, uh, chapter 36. Um, I, I love the, it's in verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. God says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Um, How does he do that? How does God vindicate the holiness of his great name? What's your strategy, God? What's your plan to vindicate the holiness of your great name? Um which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. That's being said to Israel. 
And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So God's going to do something. He's going to vindicate his holiness before a bunch of people who have been watching God's so-called people act like donkeys and thus giving them reasons to blaspheme. So here's what he's going to do. Here's what he's going to do. I will take you from the nations. I'm in verse 24. And gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So that's what the first thing he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to round up a people and bring them to a land. And then he says, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So God's going to take this people, he's going to round them all up, he's going to bring them to himself, and he's going to, first of all, he's going to deal with their past excesses. He's going to deal with all their past uncleannesses. But ladies and gentlemen, you know the problem, don't you? You know, um, let's just say that, that Jesus shows up here tonight and says, okay, everybody, I'm about to take care of all of your sin from the day you were born until the end of this day. That'd be great, wouldn't it? The problem is, there's tomorrow. And tomorrow, I just start racking up another collection of uglinesses. So he's going to gather up his people. He's going to bring them in the land. I'm going to spray clean water. I'm going to take care of your clean. Get rid of all your idols. I'll cleanse you. But there's more. And I'll give you a new heart. And a new spirit I'll put within you. And, 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 and ladies and gentlemen, by the way, this is called the, the, um, the John 3 of the Old Testament. You know what John 3 is about the new birth, uh, being born again? Well, this is the Old Testament version of that. The John 3 of, of, of the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a new heart. This is language that I use probably once a month. I, I, I prefer this language to just about anything in the Bible. Um, I will give you a new heart. <clears throat> and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take that dead, corroded thing that's in the center of your being, and I'm going to remove that one, and I'm going to give you one that's alive. I'm going to give you one that pulsates with new life. Oh, okay, good. Hot dog. I'm going to have me a new life, and I can go out and live just like any, any way I want to. Man, I'm going to find me a Bathsheba. I'm going to say curse words a whole lot, and I'm going to just live it up because, you know, now I'm free. That's called grace. I'm just going to live and have the best old time. And, you know, if, and, and if I do anything wrong, don't you dare judge me because that would be legalism, and you'd be a Pharisee. <laughs> and I live under grace. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't misunderstand me. I love grace, and we're going to talk about it. But it is being so abused today. I've got an article that I ought to let you all read. But, I mean, there is this huge debate, this dialogue that's going on about these two words. These two words. Are you ready? Intentional obedience. Those two words are theological hot potatoes right now. Now, tell me. Do you think in your walk with Jesus Christ there should ever be any 
any instance of intentional obedience? Sunday morning, when, you, uh, when the alarm goes off, or when the alarm doesn't go off, um, and, and you're thinking, well, you know, it's so nice outside, <coughs> and, um, you know, I just think I'm going to get me a paper and a cup of coffee, and I'm just going to sit right here and, uh, you know, just uh, stare at the, 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 the grass. And, 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 but then there's something else that, uh, I mean, then you got this, I'm going to stay, you know, but I, I do see a need to be with God's people and, and then to be around his word. Is that, is there any kind of intentional obedience or intentional choice that you make to obey? Is there, is there anybody that doubts that in terms of a Christian's experience, there is something called intentional obedience? Ladies and gentlemen, I worry about you. I worry about this, this article. Of course there is. You're alive in Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And you cooperate with the God, the Holy Spirit, so that you won't uh, grieve him and quench him. And every now and then you're faced with a choice whether I do this, whether I do And I have to choose. Empowered, enabled by God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. But there's an intentionality about choosing righteousness from time to time over unrighteousness. And that's being debated And I think, it's come to this. It's come to this. And by the way, the people who reject those two words, now this is a a title that has been given them. They 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 didn't choose this title. It's a title that was given to them. It's called the grace movement. Which is saying there's no there's no need for intentional obedience. And some of the names that are in this movement. Every person in this room knows. Every person in this room knows some of these names. I'm not done. <laughs> I've got my new heart. I got my new spirit. You know, I'll put my spirit within you. Um, and and I, I, I'm going to give you, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, once that happens, notice what God says next in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is one of the outworkings of God putting his spirit within me? Well, the evidence is that we're a bunch of people who are walking in his statutes and being very careful very careful to obey his rules. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, in the world of grace, which is a beautiful world, it's the only world that I want to live in. I don't want to live in the legalist's world. I hate that world. I don't want to live in the antinomian's world, although this one is a whole lot more appealing because I can do whatever I want. (laughs) But I don't want to live in that one either. I want to live in the world of grace. But the world of grace contains rules. And don't you ever represent me as ever saying anything otherwise. Yes, I hate legalism, ladies and gentlemen, because that's man-made. But there's something that God made, and it's beautiful. And it involves some obedience to rules. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. Our Father, I I do pray that you will uh, help me to be as balanced as 
possible. Uh, Lord, I'm certainly not the, um, the reservoir of truth. So where I err and am, and am imbalanced, would you guard, would you stop up the ears of the hearers in this room? But where there is a measure of balance, something that is true to your word, something that is um, a, a right handling of the scriptures, rightly divided, would you use it to stir your people? Would you use it to guide them and, and give them proper direction? Direction that is um, not legalistic, Direction that is not licentious, but direction that is that is riddled with grace. Teach us what that beautiful word is all about. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.